All right now, you're listening to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Bronin, just a fed-up taxpayer, bringing you all of your Texas local and national news. Welcome to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I am Bronin, your host. Thank you for returning to the program. Or if you are a new listener, a first-time listener, 1,000 welcomes to the podcast. And I'm mostly going to be talking about local Texas issues per usual. But I do want to kick off the show. I'm going to talk about Mississippi, where I once lived as a young adult. And the weather obviously has been scorching. Yeah, big surprise, right? It's a big surprise for some people every year that in June it's going to be hot in Texas or Louisiana or Mississippi or the rest of the South. And of course, the narrative is that ERCOT may fail us once again, the big fear that you might not have AC for a few days. And most people, most Americans, they are unaware that AC is a complete luxury, that most of the world, billions of people around the world do not have that luxury, even if they are in a hot climate, Texas hot or even hotter. And most Americans are completely unwilling when the state or whatever local entity calls upon individuals to lower their thermostats, or pardon me, to increase the temperature of their thermostats from, let's say, about 69 degrees to 79 degrees during the middle of the day. Most people are unwilling to do that or make any compromise, like turn on a ceiling fan instead or or just have the ceiling fan or maybe plant some agriculture in their yard like a native tree that can serve as shade. And no, if you plant a native tree, it's much less likely to come down in a storm or in a tornado. When you see trees coming down and causing damage, chances are that is not a native tree because if it was a native tree, it could withstand the tornadoes which have been going on in Texas for a lot longer than there have been human beings. But see, that kind of a suggestion is typically met, at least when I find, when I make that suggestion on Twitter, for example, well, I'm a racist, bigoted, insensitive, uh, anti-human, evil, uh, billionaire supporter. That's what those kind of comments are met with typically. And I know that there are things that we could obviously do to shore up the infrastructure in Texas. But the fact of the matter is that Texas is a destination state and we have tens of thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people moving into the state per year. And There are suggestions on the right. Well, that means that we need more conventional power sources. We need to get natural gas production. Uh, We need to get more of that. And obviously, we have the climate people, the climate alarmists, the climate enthusiasts who want more windmills and solar panels. But do you know what we can do that's actually the free solution? And, And it's actually cheaper for everybody is to when it's three o'clock in the day, five o'clock in the day to turn your thermostat up to 79 on the AC. 
Or, God forbid you do what I do and turn it off. Don't run it. And I, I run it at night. I will turn it on at night. I, it's very uncomfortable when you're hot at night. It's very difficult to sleep, I find. And I do sleep better in the winter when it's cold. But I turn the thermostat down. I turn it on. And then I set it to about 73 degrees. So I'm running it at night. But I've taken, uh, you know, I, I think I have generated some goodwill there by keeping it off during the day when it's hottest. And you know what? The, the temperature may rise into the low 80s in the house. That's not going to kill you. you. You can breathe in that kind of a temperature. I, you know, do most people even know what their body temperature is, what the human body temperature is? That's, of course, a rhetorical question. But if your house is 83 degrees and outside it's almost 100 degrees, well, that's that's quite the relief already. But I, I don't know. I, I guess there are people out there who they don't mind having a three or $400 per month electric bill in the summer. I can tell you right now a lot of the reason why I keep the AC off during the day it's it's a financial choice, and it saves me hundreds of dollars per month. I think my electric bill, it really hasn't exceeded maybe 50, 60 bucks this whole year, and, and that's really my goal for the summer to keep it down. You know, I had a friend of mine, I'm going away for a couple of weeks, and fortunately I've got neighbors and friends around to keep an eye on the house, but I had a friend who offered, she said, oh, do you want a house sitter? And I have a lot of plants, indoor and outdoor. Fortunately, my outdoor plants, for the most part, they're native and they are very drought tolerant. So I don't ever have to water them. And they only get watered when it rains. But the indoor plants, they're a little more rapacious in terms of their water usage. And I initially, I thought, you know what, that'd actually be great. I'd love to have somebody come stay in the house. But on second thought, I said, well this friend is going to have the AC on probably the whole time. And what am I going to do? Tell her, oh, you can stay, but just don't turn on the AC. I can't say that. And, but then I'm like, how long, how much is it going to cost to run the AC for two weeks? It's probably, it'll, it'll probably triple my electric bill. So anyway, I'm working on a, another solution. But why do I bring all this up? Because, look, I'm, I'm a pretty conservative person here, right? This is a uh, conservative yet pragmatic kind of a show. And I do care about the environment. I'm not out there. Forget about the, the climate change. Forget about global warming. As soon as you say that, you just cut the audience in half. Forget about it. It's a, th- Those are toxic legacy terms. They just bring up all kinds of divisive feelings. Forget about it. So this is the way I like to think about it. I like to think about things in terms of what's going to be saving me money and because I think I can get people on board with that. Or, you know, I, I love planting native plants. That was when I got this condo, I was most excited about, I, I dug up the whole patio. It looked awful. And I, I really turned it into a little bit of an oasis back here. And it took me a long time, but picking out the plants, I made sure that I was going to plant stuff that was going to be pretty much self-sustaining. You know, I watered them until they got established. But now they're great. And you know what? I've created basically, uh, my brother came down. He built a 
a, a trellis. He was able to raise the height of the fence to over six feet, so it really created privacy. And then I planted crossvine, which are native to the southeast and or you know, north Texas. Well, we're southeast-ish, I guess. But they do great here. And it, it created a natural wall. And not only that, but in front of my patio sliding door, the heat used to just beat down on that door and then and beat into the house. And I was even afraid. I, I have a nice little settee that's a, it's a wood frame, but it's got a nice upholstery. And I was worried that the sun during the summer was going to discolor the settee. But now that cross vine has filled in and, and that alone has taken so much heat out of the house. It's fantastic. And this morning I was out, I was having a cup of coffee and I'm trying to finish this book that I'm reading and the Texas sage I have planted in front and it really needs a lot of sun, Texas sage, but it's, it's a beautiful plant and it has been blooming regularly, these little lavender purple flowers. And I saw honeybees in there. And then that cross vine that I planted as well gets a huge bloom. It explodes with flowers all over. It's, it's really like a tree. And the, the bees love it. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole the bee crisis, the honeybee crisis that people, we, we can't figure it out. There's been all kinds of theories about why the honeybees are dying. But probably, it's, it's probably a human cause if we're really being honest. So one of the things that you can do that's very simple and easy is plant native plants and flowers that the bees like. All right, anyway, I went into a whole rant about the uh, gardening here. I know this isn't a gardening podcast, but I'm going to keep it moving right along. So uh, Mississippi, I think that's how I started off. I was talking about Mississippi. Well, in the middle of June, there were some bad storms. If you were in North Texas, you probably heard the tornado siren going off multiple times. And Louisiana, in the Shreveport area, got battered, was without power for days. Mississippi, when I was reading the story, had lost power for over 100 hours, which was actually more than Hurricane Katrina during that period. And Mississippi, by the way, got absolutely hammered in Katrina. And as far up as Jackson got hammered, I mean, roofs blowing off. And Jackson is not a coastal city. It's a it's a good three and a half hour drive to the Mississippi coast from Jackson. And it, not, not as far of a drive from uh, New Orleans, for example. But anyway, the city of Jackson, where I used to live, and I used to be a teacher, it's very unfortunate. Obviously, it has a, a, a pretty disturbing history in terms of racism and segregation. And obviously, it was a hotbed in the 20th century and slavery, of course, right? But they have a, basically, now they have an all-black city government, black mayor. Benny Thompson, the congressman who represents Jackson, and you may know him better for presiding over the January 6th committee. And, and that's his real claim to fame. He doesn't seem to really care much about Jackson, Mississippi, which in September of last year, August, September, did, the city didn't have water for weeks. The There was some flooding that just completely put the water infrastructure, the pipes over the edge. 
the, uh, the cleaning facility, the purification facility. And the city has just been shedding residents for years. It, I think there are, there are tens of thousands of fewer residents in Jackson, Mississippi today than when I was living there about eight or nine years ago. Very sad, but you can't live there if you don't have reliable utilities. And, you know, it's, it's just not a great trajectory for the city. And that's really a shame. But Benny Thompson, he hasn't uh, really done anything as far as I can tell. He's been the congressman there for 30 years. Is Jackson better now than it was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago? No, he's, he's much more concerned about trying to get Donald Trump in prison. That was his goal for the last couple of years. There's plenty of blame to go around. Don't get me wrong, right? We, there's a the governor lives right downtown in the most expensive public housing in the state, the governor's mansion, and really the elected leaders in Mississippi, and many of whom are white. The majority of whom would be white. They have tried, or they they are what they've been doing is moving city services outside of Jackson, Mississippi, which is black run. And the majority of the population is black. I think about 80%, maybe closer to 90. But for example, if you want to pay your state taxes, the Mississippi Internal Revenue Service or whatever they call it, it's, it's actually not in the capital city in Jackson. It's just outside in a more desirable suburb, Clinton. In any case, I'm going to move on from Mississippi, but Jackson, it's a basket case kind of a city. There have been hundreds of boil water notices over the years. There were many when I lived there. And often we wouldn't even find out that there was a boil water notice until days after it was issued. All right, moving right along, I've got one more local story for you, and this involves the Dallas Police Department, which, for those of you who aren't aware, has been severely understaffed for years, ever since a number of years ago, when the pension system was modified, and that created a wave of retirements, many of them early, and it caused officers to flee to nearby cities and towns that are safer and have better pay, even if it's marginally better pay, and they don't have to deal with as much homelessness, junky crimes that we have here in Dallas. And so this is causing quite a bit of a controversy. And the the crux of the matter is, is there are a lot of people who are 911 trigger happy. And there are people who abuse 911 in the same way that they go into the emergency room and abuse it, or they are taxing their doctor's time and they're going to the doctor all the time. Well, the police, when they are down four or 500 officers, they cannot sustain these conditions. So what I want to go ahead is I want to read to you some of the crimes that you will now need to report online and that's going to be as of july 3rd of this year so officers won't physically respond to an address 
to take a report for certain calls, including minor accidents with no injuries, that's car accidents, when the vehicles are operable. And you know what? That's something that drives me nuts. How often do you see a little fender bender you're driving and now you have two cars at least they're in the middle of the road they are blocking a lane they're out there with their cell phones taking pictures they're calling people and it they could move the car over to the side you know what i think that in that kind of a situation if you have a fender bender or you have a minor vehicle damage and you choose to block up the middle of a street especially if it's a busy street especially if it's on a busy traffic-y day or during rush hour you know what i think that you should have to face a, you should have to face a charge you should be fined for that kind of foolishness fine you want to get out in the street which is dangerous already and you're just contributing to the danger but fine get a few pictures go right ahead take a video whatever you need to do and send it off to your insurance company and the insurance companies handle this just as they have handled millions of these kinds of cases. And if you want to pull over into a nearby parking lot or you want to get out of the way and have a shouting match with the person you got into the fender bender with, that's fine. But police don't need to show up to those kind of events typically. But, you know, again, that's assuming that you have people driving cars with a brain being able to make those kind of executive decisions. Here are some other crimes that police are no longer going to be showing up to the door for. Motor vehicle burglaries. And ever since the COVID hoax nonsense farce, the petty theft and motor vehicle burglaries and crimes, smashing a car window, grabbing whatever you can, those kinds of crimes proliferate throughout the country. Because if the COVID hoax farce nonsense taught anybody anything. It showed the criminals that they have a lot more authority and they can test the limits a lot more than they ever could before. Uh, because of course, the uh, police morale throughout the country in the wake of some other events that occurred around the COVID, the early COVID days, I, I won't even get into it, but the police, they have been so battered morally, their reputation is in the toilet, they can't recruit, they especially can't recruit people of color in many areas because the backlash that many people of color face, the crap that they have to hear from friends, family, acquaintances, if they consider joining the police, well, they rather not take it. And that that's not even, that's not even getting into the fact that once you do join the force, it's such a commitment. The training is a very long process, much more than in many other fields. And then from the day that you're accepted into the academy until you actually become an effective officer, there's at least a two-year gap there. So it, it's just, it is so difficult to recruit cops. And Eddie Garcia, I know he takes a lot of flack. Is there a police chief in America who doesn't take a lot of flack, no matter what color they are, by the way? And he is trying to put some policies in place, like extend, he's trying to extend the careers of some of his more senior officers by offering them bonuses if they agree to stay on a couple of more years. 
And, you know, I hope they do, but I'm sure, you know, who stays in a career for 20, 25, or 30 years anymore? Certainly not teachers. Cops, especially down south, especially in a big metropolitan area like Dallas or Houston, the, the crap that you have to put up with and the pay, which is mediocre, and it's, it's nothing if you had a couple of kids to support. I'm going to read to you a little bit more from this article. This is coming from the Dallas Morning News, by the way. So some of the other crimes... I just mentioned motor vehicle burglaries, credit or debit card abuse, harassing calls or texts unrelated to family violence, identity theft, reckless damage, graffiti, burglary of a coin machine, lost property, theft, and shoplifting under $2,500. So can you imagine? So the, the criminal element, right, who's already emboldened, they're stealing all over the place, the organized theft. But now $2,500, the cops won't show up. I mean, that's talk about a dog whistle. That's like a bat signal to the criminal element. So I suspect there are going to be a lot of repercussions at the retailers, at your supermarkets, at Home Depot, in the department stores, at the mall. I'm sure that's going to have repercussions. But again, you know, this is COVID here. COVID taught the criminals that they have a lot more authority than they ever thought they did. And in addition, it just battered police so much that we, we just don't have the uh, the manpower to be able to respond to all of these calls. And, and you know what? Are you going to join the police? Are, are you going to be a cop? Are you going to put yourself in harm's way? Uh, and, and you know, if you join the police... They're going to put you right out there and bum and junkieville. And, and you want to be dealing with that, the mental patients, the lunatics out of the asylum, the, the 50-year-old adult men who've been in and out of prison who stopped cognitive growth around the age of 12. You want to deal with that for your profession? I don't think so. Garcia, the chief of police of the DPD, said residents should still call 911 for emergencies. A, a lot of people don't know how to distinguish an emergency from what is not an emergency, though. That's the problem. When they witness a crime in progress or when the suspect is present, he said the investigative process will remain the same no matter how the crime is reported. Dallas Police 911 Administrator Robert Uribe I probably mispronounced that name, apologies, said residents who don't have internet can file a report over the phone or can use a kiosk at Dallas police substations or access computers at public libraries. Yeah, if you can get into the uh, library system now with the ransomware attack. Instead of waiting for hours for an officer, people can fill out a report online within about 10 to 20 minutes, he said. Previously, people could opt to report crimes online, but the voluntary process didn't work because many people prefer an officer responding to their door. Yeah, of course they do. Still, that system freed officers for other calls. Last year, calls reported online and over the phone saved the department about 51,000 patrol hours, equal to the work of more than 24 officers, the chief said. That time can be directed to emergency calls, including top priorities such as violent crimes that require more officers for a longer period of time, Garcia said. Calls to police are assigned a priority of one to four, with priority ones considered emergencies and priority four is non-critical. On average, from January 1st to April 30, 
2023, officers responded to Priority 1s in about 10 minutes, which is up 6.2% over the same period last year, according to DPD statistics. Police responded to Priority 2 calls in about 91.89 minutes, which is an increase of 42.4% over the same period in 2022. Statistics show Priority 3s were up 53% for an average response time of about 583 minutes. Wow. And Priority 4s were up 30.2% for an average of about 574 minutes, according to police. All right, now, you're listening to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Bronin, just a fed-up taxpayer, bringing you all of your Texas local and national news. Welcome to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I am Bronin, your host. Thank you for tuning into another episode. I'm going to kick off the show today. I want to discuss the short-term rental ban in Dallas that the city council passed very late at night on Wednesday, June 14th. So I don't know what day this episode is going to be published, but it's probably last week by the time you're hearing it, if you listen to it when the podcast first comes out. And the Dallas City Council along a, it was a very close vote. It came down 8-7 and the City Council, they waited until after the election or for most of them, re-election, the off-season election in May, although the mayoral and city council elections in Dallas, they typically happen in May, in the spring, when the weather is getting nice and nobody is paying attention and, and nobody, certainly nobody is voting. And these councilors, even incumbents, even if they got 60%, they still, they, they still faced pretty significant challenges in some cases from from, you know, virtual nobodies, basically. And Paul Ridley, for example, I think he had some of the most cash and it wasn't much for his reelection, but he seemed pretty organized. And he got about 60% of the vote. Two nobodies were able to secure 40%. And these counselors, they were terrified of saying anything about Airbnb because they figured the 3,000 votes that they were going to get in total or so that many of those votes were going to come from people living in these single-family neighborhoods who opposed or perhaps supported the Airbnb short-term rental ban. And that's what it has really come down to. The single-family neighborhoods where there are single unattached homes that an Airbnb or two or three pops up on the street. Some flippers got in there and there have been a couple of high profile incidents that involved shootings, gunfire and, and teenagers at parties, right? We've heard plenty of these stories throughout the country at Airbnb, uh, Airbnb homes or properties, but it, it's, 
it's not an epidemic. It's not a huge problem, if we're being totally honest. And the, the data reveals the vast majority of Airbnb properties, well over 80%, maybe even closer to 90%. They, they have never had a 911 call or they, they have never had an incident at all. But I understand that neighbors, they've, they've bought into a neighborhood. They want that neighborhood community feel. They want to get to know their neighbors. And if you have an Airbnb property and you have weekenders there all the time and, and you have a larger group and they're taking up parking on the street, then I understand. I, I completely empathize with the neighbors as well. And I have disclosed on the show that I do rent a property on Airbnb, but I'm in not a single family neighborhood. I'm in a mixed neighborhood, mixed use. And I don't have any, my tenant is not taking up street parking. So let me put it to you that way. So the Dallas City Council, they have been, debating, avoiding, hiding, running from this issue for years, for at least three years or more. And there have certainly been, there have been a lot of complaints about the short-term renting. And there's, there's been plenty of reporting on this, plenty of stories. The Airbnb lobby is also very powerful. And I have no doubt that Airbnb has been in direct contact. I'm speculating here, but I I feel pretty strongly that Airbnb has lobbied pretty heavily the Dallas City Council. Dallas is an extremely important market. And to Airbnb, it's it's a large market. And there are apparently, according to AirDNA, which is a website that it's a third-party website that monitors Airbnb trends, and I believe it's a paid site, and, and you can pay for it and get access to their information. But they reckon that there are thousands of Airbnbs in Dallas, Airbnb properties, which it's probably true, that they are not registered, and that means that they're not paying taxes to the city. And I, I happen to know for a fact that there's, there's basically one guy who is responsible for tax collection for the city of Dallas. There's one guy, thousands of properties. And the I, I don't do the short-term renting. I, I do longer term. I, I don't want to deal with short-term renting. It's a different ball game. It's you have to really be on your P's and Q's anyway. So the Dallas City Council, anyway, after the whole day. Wednesday. Apparently they started nine in the morning down at City Hall and they went all the way up to nearly midnight and there were residents, including some state reps who live in Dallas, who appeared before the council to voice. It seems largely like their uh, their concerns and about short-term renting and the fact that they support the ban. And some of the other counselors had come up with they try to come up with compromises. Chad West came up with a plan that honestly, it just seemed a little too complicated. One of the things he suggested was you would have to have somebody on site potentially to monitor the property, or you'd have to at least have somebody there to greet the guests when when you're actually turning over the rental property to them. 
In any case, so short-term rental, it's defined by under 30 days. And like I said, the council was split. It was an 8-7. And the older councilors, go figure, they were a lot more suspicious, a a lot more outcry about short-term rentals than the younger councilors. And that's pretty much how it goes. Older people who are, they're suspicious of Airbnb. They, they may not understand how it works that much. They, you know, a lot of people you buy into a community, you want to know your neighbors, as I mentioned, you don't want uh, transients. So I, I totally get it. But the problem that the council is not going to really care about, uh, honestly, when it comes down to it, is that code enforcement in the city of Dallas is short-staffed. The job, it's actually proven to be quite dangerous. I'm not sure if yet code enforcement are wearing body cameras, but I believe that code enforcement is going to adopt body cameras because they're going to some of these properties in Dallas and Lord knows what they're showing up to a pit bull probably in, in many cases or some kind of a a pit bull mix. And that might go to show you what kind of an owner you have at the property. Sorry to all the pit bull owners out there. I know your pit bull is angelic. I know your Fido, the friendly pit bull would never maul a child's face or anything or attack somebody from code enforcement. But, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard some stories, you know, so uh, pardon me if I am, if I'm believing the rumors, but code enforcement in any case, it's proven to be dangerous. It doesn't, it's, it's not a bad paying job, but you know, when the potential for bodily harm enters the equation or particularly in Texas, when you're showing up to somebody's house uninvited or unwelcome, what are the chances that in addition to a pit bull, the property owner or the tenant may have a firearm? Would you say there's a likelihood there? And so code enforcement, they are going to be responsible for policing these new short-term rental restrictions, which are set to go into effect in six months. So basically at the end of the year and code enforcement has said, we need to hire so substantially in order to be able to enforce short-term rental ban. And we are also going to need to have code enforcement overnight in the off-peak hours because, yeah, go figure, that's when the parties are going on, which are really the problem. It's, It's obviously not when code enforcement is working between the hours of 8 to 4 or 9 to 5 or whatever their typical hours are. But Paul Ridley, the genius, Paul Ridley, the genius who opposes short-term renting and obviously voted in favor of the short-term rental says during the council meeting, well, we we can just do like Denver and, and we just send the owner a letter in the mail. And, and, you know, that pretty much solves the problem. That's, that's your enforcement. They're going to, they're going to just follow the violation that's that they get in the in the mail and so obviously you're renting out your property you don't even live there are you checking your mail are you even getting mail at the residence but paul ridley the counselor and genius he thinks that that's pretty much solving the problem you just send out a letter and it's done 